Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. This podcast is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you're a coach who's continuing to grow himself or herself every single week, then Stick and Ball is just for you. With videos updated weekly from some of the top baseball and softball coaches in the country, Stick and Ball is a no-brainer. Check it out at stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. On today's show, we have on Trevor Flo, head baseball coach at North Hall High School in Gainesville, Georgia. Since he arrived at North Hall, he has been part of an overall record of 193 wins to 64 losses. In his first year as the head coach of the Trojans, they finished 24 and seven, made it to the Sweet 16. In year two, they were 21 and 16 and made it to the Final Four. In year three, their Trojans were 12 and four and ranked number one in 3A before the COVID shortened season. And this past season, the Trojans won the 3A state championship for the second time in school history and set the school record for wins in a season. Trevor earned Region Coach of the Year honors during the 2018 season and 3A Coach of the Year in 2019 and 2021. So on the show, we go over the vision of the program, how he stays on top of things by being extremely organized, and how to teach attention to detail. It is my pleasure to introduce Trevor Flo. Trevor, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for having me, man. Definitely, definitely. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to know you uh, as well as the guests today, and, and we're looking forward to getting to just some insight within your program. And so I, uh, one of the things that I really like to know is let, if we rewind back to you know year one, I think it's intimidating for everyone, uh, no matter if you've been a head coach for 10 years and you're changing programs or you, it's your first year as a head coach, there are always things that you look back and go, I did this pretty good. And I would do this a little bit differently, but it's really just setting the foundation for what for what and how you want your program to to be run. So I'd like to like to you know rewind to year one or at least the the months leading up to the school year in year one. What did that vision look like for you? And then what were some of the most critical things that you did? Um, you know, going in being a head coach, you you have an idea of, of, of what you want it to look like. And um, I think for me, uh, consistency uh, was a huge deal for me. I, I wanted to be consistent in, in how we ran our program um, and definitely in development uh, and growth. So I wanted, of course, you, you know, take a freshman or eighth grader. And you you want to see them by the time they're juniors and seniors. Uh, developing the player they want to be. So um, I don't think there's any replacing experience. So at first year head coach, you have all these dreams and ideas about what you want your program to look like. And um, it's usually it's usually a lot harder off the field, uh, the things you have to learn. Um, so that consistency goes across the board, especially in high school baseball. You know, you, you, you do a lot of things. So uh, the consistency aspect for me, um, was something that I wanted to have in place. I think that's the word that I would use. Oh, I love it. And so let's let's uh, let's rewind back again. Uh, I think again, consistency is such a big thing. Just especially for for teenagers, they're looking to us for guidance. And right. if we are wishy washy with our behavior, it's just going to lead them to be confused or or allow them for some allowance that is not based on the standards that we set. But what was what was the most critical thing that you did? So if, if we had to boil it down to, uh, you know, li- the head coaches listening that are really that are about to go into year one, what were you know, what was the what was, again, what was that foundation like? But if you had to boil it down to one thing, what do you think that they would be besides consistency? Um, for me, you know, you, you have this idea uh, um, coming out of your playing days um, mm-hmm. as a young guy. You have this idea of what do you want to look like? Um, and I think that. Very often, it's easy to get put in a box about what you think uh, the game looks like to you. Um, and, and I would say one of the critical things for me in learning was how to be flexible with my viewpoints. So, you know, this game is big and there's a lot of unbelievable coaches out there with unbelievable ideas. So if you if you come into this thinking um, and it's just like a player, if you come in thinking that that, you know, 
um, about the game and you know how to coach the game and you you got this boxed idea about what you think it should look like because this is the way you've done it, then I think you're in for a rude awakening. Um, and I did that a little bit when I, when I first started coaching. You know, I, I, I tried to be the, the coach that I was as a player. Um, and I think that's a dangerous spot to be in. And I think a lot of young coaches or new coaches uh, have that. So for me, being flexible um, and, and seeing other people's philosophies about, you know, how they saw the game. Um, how they conducted a game from a coach's standpoint, because coaching is not playing. Um, you have to look at it objectively from you got all these players. And like you just said, the teenager um, and so much goes into that. Like well, what player are you getting today? Uh, and, and how, how do you coach to their strengths? So those philosophies I've really learned um I guess not to be hard headed, if you want to say that, to to look outside the box and say, you know, I might not have the answers and that's OK. Um, but there are a lot of people in this country and a lot of people uh, coaching wise that have done a really good job. And, and if you you would be uh, and I was stubborn not to reach out earlier on and say, you know, I got some ideas. I'm not real sure. Um, how how to put them in a program, but I see that you've been very successful. And I think uh, doing that and being flexible uh, and, and you would find coaches that are more than willing to help you. I mean, I, I've met so many amazing people that I've stolen things from. I guess that's what we do as baseball coaches anyway, really. Uh, uh-huh. we, we borrow things. So um, I borrowed so many things from successful coaches and try to interject those into what I do in my philosophy. And I think that's huge. That was very critical for me as a coach. Really cool. So my wife and I, we've been going through some, uh, some of Brian kite stuff. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with Brian and, and don't really have to be, uh, but the, the latest thing that we actually went through. So he does these 20 different skills. Uh, and so the latest one was, was flexibility. And I was like, man, this is going to be terrible flexibility, you know, wishy-washy. And the the more that, that he really dug into it, because his biggest thing is it was we want to be be disciplined in everything that we do, and discipline is the shortcut to where we want to be. Right. Uh, and so he talked about flexibility. He said, if you're not flexible, you're rigid, and rigid things break. And one of the quote, one of the my favorite quotes that he used was, he said, being flexible, which is what you're talking about too, and, and this plays right into it because I love it, uh, he said, it's being able to adjust your style to the people in your room without lowering your standards. And that one just like hit me with a ton of bricks because, you know, we we all have our own strengths and we tend to play with those strengths and uh, assume that the, you know, the the kids that, that are following us in that program have similar strengths. And, and a lot of them might. But there's so many different things that play into it, uh, you know, just how they were raised and where they're where they came from what what their life looks like on a daily basis and and so being able to adjust your style to reach everybody without lowering your standards i thought that that was really really good yeah that's and when we talk about a, a teenager and you're talking mm-hmm. high school baseball you know uh these kids from the time they wake up in the morning they're probably facing adversity and some somehow and then they go to school um for eight hours and, and they probably face adversity uh, if you're looking back on on your school experience, it wasn't the best thing. And, and you got four million hormones going crazy, especially in these young men. And and then they come down after that. And then you're trying to get in and practice and and have them focus. So I think understanding the, the kid or, or the person you're working with um, was another critical issue for me, uh, just to be able to say, you know, they, they've been through a lot. You, you have to look at it objectively from their standpoint as well. They've been through a lot throughout just a single school day. Um, so how do you get the best out of them uh, when they come to practice? And, and, and what, do you, what do you look forward to for them in your program? And, and how do you do that? And I think if you're not thinking like that, you're not looking at a kid and saying there are so many things that probably happened to him or her throughout the the, the day before they get to you, um, then you're probably missing the boat a little bit and understanding how that kid ticks. 
Oh, for sure. So one of the things that, that, you know, when I sent the question list over, you actually filled it out and, you know, I thought that this was great. So it's given me some different things to work on. Uh, but you said that you also, you make a list, you're, you're a planner by default and you make a list every year of just right. some of the things that you guys need to accomplish uh, to be successful. And so I, uh, I'll, baseball is very simple when you play catch well, when you put the ball in play, when you're aggressive and you put right. pressure on the other side, then and then you limit freebies, uh, then you're going to be very successful. But what that looks like in every program is a little bit different. So uh, with with our program at Owasso or with your program, we've got different kids with from different parts of the country uh, even. And so I would love to hear what uh, what have you found to be successful? Because, again, you, you've been the, the state championship four times. You've won it twice. You've obviously found a recipe for success based on the teams that you've been able to mold. But I'd love to hear you just work through what what was what is that formula for you guys uh, and then how are you implementing it? I mean, you know, you said a lot of it uh, right there. I make a list and it's kind of a it's a running list. Um, it changes every year. And, and I think you ha that's another part of being flexible. I think you have to know uh, the kids that are in your program and you have to coach to their strengths. So but there are some things that we have to do well. Um, you know, our, our throwing program. Uh, it's huge for us. We have to throw and we have to catch. Everybody has to throw and catch. But how, doing that uh, in game-like situations or, or putting pressure on to compete uh, before you get in actual competition arena it is a big deal. So that that's something we focus on daily. I mean, it's huge for us. Probably the most important thing that we do, and we spend 20 to 25 minutes a uh, day, and, and, and I'm right there with them every single throw. Um, and it's attention to detail. And I think that's a huge part of us being successful. Um, and that, that list that I have includes, you know, what, what are game winning plays that we want to see, uh, when we get to when games really, really matter late in May? Um, what are those game winning plays? And I work back from there and I make a list and say, these are the things we have to be really good at. Uh, and then you start looking at your personnel and you start, uh, honing in on those things you're talking about. You know, you have to play great defense. Well, how do you get a kid to play great defense? Um, you, you know, you can say we have to play good defense, but and that's part of the game. But just saying it and then being able to actually execute it, how do we do that? So that's part of the list that I make as well. And then, sure. and, and then what does it look like offensively for our team? You know, I mean, how are we going to win baseball games? You can't just have a, a one-size-fits-all. Um, we hit three home runs this year and won a state championship. Two were in the playoffs. So we hit one home run during the regular season uh, and ended up winning a state championship. But I knew that going in from that list, you know, that these are going to be our strengths, and one of those was not hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Um, so how do we get 90 feet, and what does that look like? So there's a, there's a lot of critical elements uh, to knowing your players and knowing your personnel um, and actually putting that in to your development. Uh, I think that it, it's very easy to be generic and, and uh, I'm, I don't know, a lot of programs probably just, they come out and they, they throw a little bit and, and they take some ground balls and they hit BP and they go home. And uh, I, I personally, <laughs> I kind of gives me anxiety a little bit actually. Um, I personally wouldn't feel like um, I, I was doing what I needed to do for these kids to be successful. Um, and, and when you, you ask kids at the beginning of the season, you know, you're sitting in this room, who wants to play college baseball? And 99% of them are going to raise their hand. Okay, well, <clears throat> whether that's a, a reality or not, it's my job. If that's something they want to do, it's my job to help them uh, in, in the best position to get to where they want to be. So one of, one of the things that I think is interesting too, uh, you've got that 99%, which, you know, which, which hopefully they all do, uh, and hopefully they all work right. to that. Uh, well, but we'll see, but they all have strengths and weaknesses within that too. So, uh, and just to give an idea, you're a three, a school and a seven, a, uh, like, uh, classification. So right in the mid range, right. I think you said you had 12, 1200 kids. Uh, and so you, you have to develop a lot of them. And uh, I, I hope that most most coaches would say the same thing. But you you also you've got a lot of hands on uh, throughout the entire program. So I would love to hear your process of uh, the player development system. And then 
Like, how do you how do you help players to understand uh, what they're good at, set goals, uh, get better at? And then I I'm struggling with this too a little bit. Of we like at Owasso, we've got almost sixty guys in off season, and it's almost it's 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 a lot. Like it's a lot. So putting a lot on them uh, and understanding their strengths and weaknesses, but also taking into account the teenagers. Uh, they sometimes over overestimate their strengths and undervalue their weaknesses or the opposite. They think they say that they suck all the time. So trying to be able to balance that, too. But I'd love to hear your your process on how do you help players to understand and communicate with what they're good at and what they're not? Yeah, we um, I, I believe in in brutal honesty. Um, you know, there's a there's a thin line between uh crushing a kid and being honest with a kid. And uh, uh, I, I, I saw something the other day, um, Monty Williams, about, about coaching up, you know, coaching, coaching kids or, or players up, coaching them to understand um, th- these are areas you're very good at and these are weaknesses. And we always talk about, um, you know, we need to strengthen our strengths, um, but we really, really need to make our weaknesses our strengths. And, and if we can do those those two things and we can focus on those, because I, I think it's easy for a high school kid um, to know that they have a weakness and to kind of use that as a crutch. Uh, and, and it allows them to say, you know, I'm not very I'm not very good at this. I'm not. And, and that that's a, a viewpoint in our program where. I'm just not going to allow it. Uh, you, you know, you're not very good at that now, but you will be. Okay. And, and that's the, that's what we need to really focus on. You will be good at this. Um, it's something that obviously that, that needs just like anything, uh, needs practice and needs work. You know, if you, if you're not good at math and you don't do extra practice, you're never going to be good at math. So we take this, this program, um, and, and say, all right, developmental-wise, we start when they're in eighth grade. Uh, and, and my coaches are unbelievable. I mean, the, the work that they put in in the offseason, you know, right after school uh, from from August to, to January when we start officially, uh, we don't stop. Uh, and, and they don't stop. And uh, high school coaches don't get paid a lot. And my assistant coaches uh, don't get paid nearly what they deserve. But they they're there all the time um, and, and the kids go full speed all the time. And I think success helps, obviously, when you're successful and, and kids want to continue that and you have a program in place. But I think that as coaches, uh, it's critical that we have a renewing um, of our passion every year. And that, that's very difficult uh, sometimes to say, okay, we're, we're really successful. Like we were really successful last year. So for me personally, I have to say, okay, that that doesn't matter anymore. I'm I'm so happy we were so successful, but now we have to figure out how to start over. Um, and and how do you, uh, the ego, uh, is the enemy. Um, and it, it is for, especially for high school kids. And, and I've thought about this since the day after we won the state championship, how, do we go back to work in the drawing board um, and say, you know, when you're on top, uh, you're even more vulnerable. Uh, people want to knock you off even more. So we have to go back to work uh, to be better than we were. And that development starts um, from the eighth grade. You know, I, I want our kids. It, it's it's very critical to help them understand this is where you could be if you have this development um, like these kids in front of you. So the example that they set for each other is huge. And, you know, I can talk all day long, but if they're not doing it um, and they're not, they're not going to our defensive work, you know, we have an hour session, four groups uh, every single day defensively. Um, We're in the weight room every single day. They're doing their long toss program, their agilities and their movements. So there's a ton of things that go in, uh, to develop, man. But, but if you don't have kids that buy in and, and you don't have leaders in the program, and I think that's a big part of knowing your kids and taking them to the side and saying, here's what I need from you and challenging them. Um, 
you you take a kid to the side that wants to be really good and you say, you know, you have leadership qualities. Uh, these kids look up to you. I need you to help me. Uh, and, and you put that on them. Uh, a lot of kids are going to respond. And, and I think you have to do that if you want to be good. You have to give some ownership to the kids and and let them lead because if, if you just do it, try to do it all yourself and you never do that, uh, you got robots walking around and you're you're looking at some dangerous situations. No doubt. Well, I'd love to hear uh, you talk about giving ownership to the kids. Uh, what are like the standards that you set for them, at, whether it's you or whether it's it's team based? But I'd love to for you to walk us through just your standards, uh, your rules and just your system of of uh, adhering to those on a daily basis. Right. Um, the classroom is uh, non-negotiable. Uh, you, you have to perform in the classroom and we do weekly grade checks, um, hold them accountable to that. They I think uh, it's very relatable to what you do on the field and who you are as a player by the way that you act in the classroom and, and the way you treat teachers. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, you're not real good at a subject. You know, I wasn't good at chemistry in high school, um, but I was still respectful and, and I still tried. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, if, if you don't bring anything to the classroom, I need to know that because you're probably not going to be very successful in our program. And, and that's, Played out, uh, if I'm being honest, kids that didn't really make it in our program weren't the best acting kid in the school. Um, and, it, it, and it usually plays out like that. But, you know, that's our first non-negotiable uh, hustle, energy, effort, attitude, character, uh, being a great teammate. These are in no particular order, but being a great teammate, I harp on that daily. Uh, and, and one thing I say all the time is, you, you know, you work to win a position, you you go in to win your position and you want to start. And if kids didn't want to do that, I would, I would question them anyway. But what happens if you don't win that position, you're on this team, are, are you a good enough teammate to cheer for that guy that's playing that won the position? And then are you going to go back to work? You know, you learn a lot about a kid in that situation when, when they lose a position uh, or they're not on the field, what kind of teammate are you? And I can honestly say some of my most memorable kids that have ever played in this program um, were the best teammates. They didn't particularly uh, do amazing things on the field, but they were. you could always count on them um, being great teammates. So that's a huge one for me, uh, being respectful. Uh, I think those, all those are bricks that you have for your foundation uh, and laying those. I think they have to be laid early, especially in a program maybe that's been struggling. Um, I was lucky enough to, when I took over this program, it was in a really, really good spot. So uh, those things you build on or you lay those foundations. And, and that goes back to consistency. You have sure. to be consistent with those things um, and, and you you have to. Have those, and, and and you you cannot. And we talk about flexibility. You you really can't be flexible um, with with those things that are the foundation of your program. Um, and, and that's tough love sometimes. I mean, I've I've had to make some really tough decisions, and, and you look at it. You got to look at it from a program standpoint. Uh, that this is what our program is based on. This is our program. And uh, you kind of, as much as I'm about relationships and about kids and and knowing the kid, uh, there's a there's a thin line between, and a lot of people say it. Um, it only takes one to to really uh, have detriment to your program. So uh, those are some tough decisions, but those I think those are our non negotiables in our program. Sure. No, I think that's really good. And so I, I guess you know one of the other things that I wanted to ask you about too, because. Again, uh, you're a high school head coach, and so one of the added layers is the communication aspect of so many different levels of your program. And so, uh, I, w I would just love to hear, like, how are you? How are you going on a daily basis about just making sure that that's? Because you've talked about communication, you've talked about being on the same page. I'd love to hear how you do that with uh, just. Uh, we just work through all parts of the program too, because I know, I know parents will come up. I'm sure administrators will come up, uh, bringing attention to the program with the players. All of those things are, are things that you'll have to tackle probably on a daily basis, but I'd love to hear how you're working through that. Yeah. I think that, um, 
the better communicator you are, um, it's easier to get ahead of issues. So, uh, and, and I'll be completely honest, that's, that's something that I've had to learn, um, I, how to be a great communicator and, and not just when things come up, but how to communicate ahead. And, you know, in high school, for high school coaches and um, probably a lot of coaches do way more than me, um, but you, you have to handle so many aspects of the program from, you know, you just talked about dealing with administration and, and you, you're dealing with uh, communicating about games, uh, cancellations. Uh, then you, you do We have a uh, we have an amazing booster club and, and but the communication has to be there for them and all the things that go into our fundraising, uh, our first meeting, tryout meetings, our second meeting uh, when, when they make the team, um, communicating with your assistant coaches. There, there's so much that you have to be good at and ahead of. And, and if you are, you can handle so many problems before they happen. Like, you, you know, playing time, uh, that conversation is not a big deal uh, for us, or it hasn't been. I mean, knock on wood, but um, it hasn't been a big issue for us because in our second meeting, uh, I'm very blunt, I'm very transparent about the expectations uh what is going to be there was not. And I think that when you do that and, and you try to leave no stone unturned in your communication process, that you're, you're making things easier for yourself. Um, you're not eliminating by any means. I mean, there's always going to be something that comes up and, um, but you being able to say, this is my vision for the program. Uh, these are the things that are important. This is what I see. Uh, ahead of all that, then you, you're kind of answering questions before they arise. And I, I think that's huge. And that might be one of the biggest things that there is uh, for a high school head coach, knowing how to communicate with all those different pieces that going in to uh, make your program successful. Really, really good. So one of the things that I, that I really like hearing what other programs are doing too is uh, their team building stuff. And I, I think that a lot of programs spend time together and, uh, but a lot of that time can be on a field, which uh, can be good and bad. Obviously we want to, we want to get to know them on a field. We want to help them to get better baseball players, but uh, there are opportunities outside of the baseball field to get to know them more on a personal level, get to impact them in that way. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on team building activities. What are some of your favorites and what are some that we can steal from you? Something that we do team building wise is, is over Christmas break. There are two weeks over Christmas break. We do uh, a Christmas challenge and it's kind of culmination of everything that they've been doing in the weight room. And uh, I put them on teams. Uh, we, we have a green team and we have a gray team. And we're going to do things. Uh, we, we throw our bullpens in the morning. Uh, we do our offensive work after in our four-on-one groups. Uh, and then we go to our team challenges. And that usually consists of uh, I let them play games. I, and I, I'll be honest, the, the volleyball games are the most intense. I mean, they, they buy in and go nuts. And, and, and the overall aspect is I want to see them compete. You learn a lot about kids in these challenges when they're forced to compete. And, and some people might be, uh, quote unquote, weak link in certain areas. And um, how how do they respond and, and how do your team respond? And those team areas like we, we'll play a volleyball game and then um, we'll, we'll play a basketball game. Um, we'll do some um, Navy SEAL like uh, training activities and then we'll hit the weight room. Um, last year we did a team uh, rope challenge, you know, and, and how, how long can you go at a certain speed uh, on the battle rope before your next teammate takes over? And, and do you have something more in you that we haven't seen? And I'll be completely honest. I learned uh, a lot about the kids and their mentality, especially the younger kids that I haven't gotten to, to see as many years. And I get to learn, you know, this kid's got a little something more in him. Uh, that I might not have known previously. And, and they love to compete, and it's an opportunity for them uh, to stay in shape. But also uh, we play for, for a prize, and the winning team gets uh, the gear of their choice. And, and it's a big deal. And I have T-shirts made, and um, they come out and they compete like crazy. And, and, and last year we did the best out of three basketball series. And, <laughs> I mean, I videoed some of them. It's, it's pretty – I mean, I didn't know we had 
such good basketball players on our baseball team. And um, I was kind of worried about basketball coach seeing them, but you, you know, those things oh, uh, competing. Good. Yeah. Those things competing and, and just the competition, it doesn't have to be baseball. You know, you, I learned as much about a kid uh, in that volleyball game and, and laying out on the floor and, and arguing a call um, that I do on four on ones when, when they're just, you know, they're taking ground balls. And, and that puts that competition aspect. And I love it. Uh, I think it was very successful. And uh, we did some some challenges and, and some uh, stamina things last year that, you know, I was like, I'm. I might have to take this out later. It's a little bit crazy, but they responded and uh, it, it was really good. And I think that's the one thing that I, I like uh, our team building more than anything is that Christmas challenge that we have. Oh, that's great. So tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing in the off season. How do you, how do you uh, plan it out? How many kids do you have? How much time do you have? And walk us through it if you don't mind. But yeah. Um, we start in August. Uh, last year we started the year before, uh, school started just because I'd been away from the game so long with COVID, I was going insane. But um, we, we start in August, usually the second week of August. And um, August through November is going to consist of our uh, defense, um, uh, slight offense mechanics. Um, then we're going to be in the weight room full time. I think um, the strength is a huge deal. Uh too many people don't understand how important the weight room is. So we're going to be in the weight room. We're going to be doing a, a lot of baseball-focused strength workouts. Uh, we're going to be doing agility workouts, our hinge movements, um, really focusing on kids being able to move and their movements and uh, our long toss, all that that strength and, and getting ready, uh, getting the body ready to perform uh, is what we will do now August through November is focused mainly on defense. And our objective is infielders get 100-plus ground balls a day in four ones. Outfielders get 75-plus uh, fly balls uh, in our four-on-one period. And they usually go three to four times a week in, in, in that capacity. But, you know, long tosses uh, are, are three days a week, uh, sometimes four days a week. And then uh, the weight room is every day, and, and we, we do uh, – everything from jump ropes to um, all of our drill aspect with tennis balls and, and, and things like that. So it's a lot. I, mean, I ask a lot of them uh, and, and it's full speed. And then November through January, we're going to really concentrate on getting our arm ready, pitchers especially getting our arm ready to perform. Uh, my goal is that when they step on the field January 17th, that there'll be 60 pitch ready. Uh, to go, um, all pitchers are up to uh, to sixty pitches, and um, so that when we hit the the ground in January, you know we're not starting just to practice. We're not just going out there, and uh, it, I need it to be a, a, as full speed, as close to uh, they could actually play a game as they can. So the the weight room goes all the way through August through January, and then um, agility is the same, but we kind of switch to go bullpen and offense from November to January and then defense is from August to November. Oh, very cool. And how many players do you guys usually have in the off season and coaches? It's usually our whole coaching staff. So five or six of us and, and, and we'll rotate off uh, giving each other a break. And, you know, I try to be here four to five days a week just to, to see because I want to be around the guys, but uh, we, we have want to say um, 40, 40 plus kids they're they're going to be doing that and um and this year i will implement uh middle school workout there, there are no restriction numbers for us for for middle schoolers so i'm going to bring in the middle schoolers uh one day a week uh to get field time and start introducing our concepts and and how we do things and our terminology and uh hopefully they they grasp a little bit of that before they get into the program uh sixth and seventh graders uh, play middle school. So I don't really get to see them and I, I would like to know them ahead of time. So I think um, that has a possibility uh, to be very beneficial for us. So uh, we, when we transition from the off season, which like you said, November, December, you do the Christmas challenge, you guys come back from uh, Christmas break in January and then you start preseason mode. So I'd love to hear how, how have you felt uh, like you 
have, well, I guess, how best have you felt like you've prepared uh, these guys? What have you, what have you felt? You said you got to get them up to 60 pitches on the mound. Uh, but just as far as like mindset and as far as, you know, you, you talked a little bit about installing mechanics in the fall and then getting, you know, once, once the season starts, I'm assuming uh, that you don't have a whole lot of time for that. And so right. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that that's like part of your foundation process. But what does that transition look like uh, from offseason to preseason to preseason to end season? What are you cutting out and what are you making uh, more important? You know, um, I, I look at it from an offense defense standpoint. So we have these two buckets, offense and defense. Uh, they're they're that's easy to say, you know, the uh, offense you're hitting and, and defense you're fielding and throwing. But there's so many uh, critical aspects that go into these two buckets. So what big things can can we get offensively and what big things defensively uh, in the preseason so that when we get into season and we start really focusing on more of the team aspect, you know, our preseason individual preparation. Uh, we're trying to make you the best possible individual player that you can because we're, we can only do four on one in our preseason. So we can work only with four players at a time unless we're doing like the workout aspect. So if we're doing baseball specific, we're only dealing with four players at a time. So I, I'm trying to make the best individual player growth and development that we can in that preseason uh, workout time. So when we get to season now here we come together so we're putting these pieces together to what it would look like to win a baseball game so you you got this development aspect and and let's make them the best possible individual player that they can be and, and see growth and help them feel good about it and then we're going to get in this team aspect to when we start introducing uh, the little things that, that are going to win us baseball games. So all those individuals come together. So um, I, I would say uh, just the the time that we spend as far as the amount of, of ground ball work or the amount of individual uh, outfield work. And, of, of course, our bullpen sessions have to be fit in uh, to a practice schedule. So those things start um, to look more like a team concept. So you you get your – ground ball work within the team concept uh, when we're doing our specialty by position work and um, really focusing on how this comes together to look like winning a baseball game, you know? So, it, 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 and I, I guess you can liken that to um, building a foundation as well. You know, you take the individual and you build them and develop them as best as you can. And then now let's put this house together and let's see uh, if it stands and if it works. Oh, really good. I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts on, and, and this is something that I, I think uh, that I've, I've been trying to do a better job of. And that's you, you mentioned in the outline that you sent me was your attention to detail. And I, I like to th uh, think of like, how do we steal reps? So we all have the same period of time with players. How do we do, uh, you know, attention to detail as well, but how do we also steal extra reps that's going to, that are going to build up through the season? And one of the things that, that you mentioned was uh, your ability to play catch really well and in game-like situations. And I, I'd love for you to go more in depth with that. But I'd also like to hear, are, are there any other ways that you have found uh, your ability to do that? Because again, it's, it's we all have the same period of time. We all have different players, uh, but the time is equal for most programs in the country. Now, how do we maximize that uh, with attention to detail and with stealing reps? Right. Um well, when they cross the the white lines, it's it's known that that's that's our time of full speed. And, and uh, I think Gino Ariema says, uh, "I'm not here to coach your energy uh, and your effort. And, and if we have to do that, we're in a bad spot." So uh, I really I like that a lot. You know, I, and I tell them often, "I'm not here to coach you going full speed. Um, if you want to play in this program, that's a given. You need to go full speed." And, and I think that. Uh, as the head coach, it's my job to focus on that. And that's where, you know, you you, you kind of become, uh, if, I don't know if you want to say the bad guy or whatever, but um, you, you can't be scared to, to call out players um, for not going full speed because if you don't, it will cost you a baseball game. Uh, it, it will. And, and that's why, you know, I stand and walk 
through the, through the players when we do our, our catch routine, our throwing routine. And uh, if they're not moving their feet or if they're not in an athletic position or if they're not, they don't have great arm speed and they're working their body together. And um, I'm, I'm going to tell them about that because that's going to lose us a baseball game. That is our opportunity. I, I want to say it's something like 65, 70 percent of high school errors are throwing errors. So why would we not pay the most amount, uh, uh, most amount of detail and attention to something that usually loses people baseball games? So when, when they get on the line uh, after our stretching routine and after uh, we go through our agilities and mobility, we're, we're going to go straight. Well, ex- we execute and then we go straight to our throwing routine and it is attention to detail. And um, I want them to work up a good sweat and when they get to 90 feet uh before they air it out if it's if it's a day we're stretching it out i want them to have game hands and game feet and and game actions and if they're not doing those things then we're not getting better and and i think uh you can talk to any scout uh or any college coach that, that goes and watches any tournament and they can tell an athlete or a player by the way they're throwing the way they're warming up and their attention to detail. So we have to be really good at that and eliminate errors before we step on the field. And that's an opportunity there to have a game rep, uh, to eliminate uh, something that could happen later by your attention to detail from the time you step on the field. And I I would like to think that our focus and our pace and our energy, our our execution, the way that we teach uh, leads to – those kids knowing our expectations and 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 why we're doing it. I think you always have to tell them why. Um, that's what teaching is, right? So for teaching this game, here's why we're going to execute at this speed. Uh, and the younger kids might not not know the extent that I'm asking them to do it. And that's where your kids or uh, your older kids lead by example. If they're not doing it, don't expect your young kids to do it um, because that's the example that's being set. You can talk all day, but those game reps, when you're not actually in practice, I think win or lose baseball games, and it's huge, it's huge for us. Uh, I think we do a really good job uh, throwing and catching, and we have traditionally because of the time that we spend on that. And I think that, you know, we talk a lot about uh, don't beat yourself. Well, that aspect, those 15, 25 minutes of practice, that aspect uh, helps us not beat ourselves. And, and it has to be that attention to detail. Oh, that's great. So let's uh, let's fa- flash forward to your starting the season. I'd love to just, you know, best in the best way that you can. And, and this is very, you know, context dependent on what type of the, what time of the year that you're in. But let's just say you're in the middle of the season. I'd love to hear. You know what your thoughts are on how do we organize practice most efficiently? So you you've been able to do this uh, for the last couple of years, uh, which you know obviously you you've had some some real success. Uh, but what what do you guys really put a focus on? What would and even a, even a better question is what would what would it look like? What would it feel like? And what would it sound like if we came and watched you practice? Yeah, um, normally we we open up practice with some sort of execution. Uh, I think that high school baseball, you have to be really good at that. You know, you're not dealing with, um, you know, in college, you're, you're dealing with 25 plus uh, of the best players that played on their high school team. So uh, in high school, we the, the talent pool is, is not like that. So you have to get the most out of your execution periods as possible. So we do a lot of, um, you know, I have two fungo men and uh, – four hack attacks. So I, I use those every day. So we'll go, uh, sometimes we'll do four corner execution and, uh, we have a turf field, which is a huge blessing. So, uh, at all four bases, we're doing some sort of execution, whether it's push bunt, whether it's uh sack bunts, uh, with a runner on first sack bunt with a runner on second, uh, drag bunts. And then, uh, normally I'll go straight from there to, uh, base running execution session where, where we'll do, you know, our slash, our hit and runs um, while I'm giving the base runners um, context clues on what they're doing. So, you know, if, if you want to be honest, I think base running and throwing are, are the two um, areas that lose the most baseball games and probably the two areas that aren't coached enough. So 
during that that time at the beginning of practice when we're focused and we're fresh, um, we're working on, you know, second mental second uh, reading the ball, you, you know, getting where, where do my hips turn or do I read the ball behind me? Do I advance? Um, do I not? And those are live. I, there's a coach at every bag and they're coaching as hard as they possibly can. Um, that is the most important station for them. Um, the guys on third, I'm giving them context clues, infield in, infield back. Um, what's that look like? Uh, how many outs uh, we're going uh, here on this situation? Uh, if there's runner on first, we're staying out of double play, make them make a play, play at the plate. And uh, that played huge dividends for us in the playoffs. And, you, you know, seeing and being able to read and, and all those reps that went into it. And the, and the guy on first, you know, where do we get on a fly ball? How far do we go out depending on where it's hit? to what part of the field and advancement. And, and those things are huge. And we do all that within our first 30 to 45 minutes of practice uh, before we, we even go to any kind of uh, throwing routine. And, and it, play, it plays huge dividends for us. And then we'll go straight to our throwing routine normally. Um, and then we're, we're straight into it. We go to execution uh, as, as far as our position-specific groups and and, and I, I'm a firm believer in not just doing something because you're on the baseball field and it's been done for hundreds of years so how and, and this goes back to my planning and probably over planning and um, how do you find situations that are plays directly into a baseball game and that's where I'm going to develop the practice plan on and and our coaches are once again, unbelievable. Uh, and, and I should probably stop right there and say, if you if you don't have a great coaching staff, um, this sounds overwhelming. And, and it's kind of overwhelming when you do have a great coaching staff. But if you don't have one, um, and I, I'm more than blessed to have guys that are loyal and are bought into the system and that coach their absolute tails off and they're really good at it, um, they get out here and, and they lead, and, and we're going to – find ways that are directly uh, related to game situations. And we're going to put those into the practice situation and we're going to go full speed and, and they're, and they know they're, they're allowed to make mistakes and not be perfect. That's part of it. You, you have to learn how to be good doing it the way you would do it in a game in order to execute in a game. You know, if I take, 25 ground balls at 75 percent my feet aren't moving the game speeds up on you so how do we eliminate the game speeding up on us um for those little things and i i would hope that's what you would see uh, in practice and you know new new people new parents they come into our program that watch practice or all the mm -hmm. time like i had no idea what's going on it's like <laughs> ultimate chaos out there and i'm like good Good. I need it to look like chaos because they're learning to go full speed and figure it out, you know, and I, I think that's awesome. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, you mentioned wanting to get as many game like reps uh, of things that happen in a game as possible. What are some ways that you guys do that or ways that you found that you've been able to rep that within the context of practice? And this is uh, uh, something that I really had to work on, um, not being generic at practice. So, you know, I look at the percentages of, of plays in a game and um, go through as much information of, of, of coaches that have already done this before me and and see uh, what plays happen throughout the game. And we watch film throughout the regular season and uh, past seasons and kind of jot down, you know, this play happens way more than this play. Uh, so we got to be really good at that. And, um, you, you know, the backhand play, the intermediate backhand play for the shortstop. Um, you, we can't sit back on that ball. If you watch game after game after game of high school, uh, there are so many infield base hits that are intermediate backhand to the shortstop. So we got to be good at that. I, I, I need you to be able to read the hop, the first hop off the bat and, and see that and go get it. So those are things that have taken experience and, and, live log those things and the, these percentages are what plays in a game these are the things that we have to be really good at game plays 
in order to win. So that, that's what more go- geared towards the practice schedule. Now, I'm not saying we don't do fundamental things like field off left, throw off right. Um, young kids have to know that, you know. Um, so we during our position specific, you know, we might work on slow rollers and, and break it down to get on your left foot, catch, throw off your right. And um, we do those little things, but I, I try everything that we're going to do. It, I try to relate to uh, a game situation and uh, hopefully that's helped us um, be successful. No, I really like that a lot. And I, I think, you know, and sometimes I think we can, we can be, uh, we can overanalyze uh, with that. And I think one of the, just the most simple things, and you even mentioned that, which the, 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 uh, the awesomeness comes out of this simplicity of this is just giving them the game situation. And so I think, you know, uh, with the 30 plus year olds, we, we were inundated with the, the, you know, the baseball terms of, Hey, we've got this count and we need to do this with the baseball. Right. Uh, these, these kids aren't, aren't as much, you know, it, this is more of a, uh, and, and for a lot of good reasons, there's, there's been a lot of uh, approach on uh, how do we get them bigger, stronger, faster, uh, but at the same time, the tactical side is missing, I think, from a right. lot of these kids. So they may have a lot of – they have a, may have a lot more physicality, but getting them to think about game situations as much as possible with even just adding a count, adding runners, adding how many outs, uh, the inning that it is, and just making them work through that right before they're doing something. Uh, now you take you know something as simple as – first and third and they go from autopilot to oh okay so this run doesn't actually matter let me just get it out or oh that's that's the winning run now this leads to a different importance and you can do that with with whatever it is but just adding those different game scenarios i think that's a that's a really like it's just something that's simple that's just adding a count to what we're doing in the cages every single day 100 percent. okay we're this is two strike count or it's not and you know making it you could be simple as that or you've got base runners here. Here's what the you know the pitcher's been throwing all day. Here's what we're going over, and just giving them that added element to once they get into a game, they'll be like, "Oh, I did this in the cages on Tuesday." Like, not right. not a big deal. I love that. So one of the one of the next things that I really wanted to dig into preparing uh, teams for the postseason, and you hear a lot of of coaches that say that they uh, that they scale back on some things and uh, they stick to the fundamentals and uh, they want to save legs or they cut back on time. And it's, it's such a, you know, it, you've got to know your team and you've been there, you've done that and you've been successful with it. So I would love to hear what your thoughts on just how, like once you start to see the, the postseasons coming, you know, a week, two weeks, month, whatever, you're getting down to the, those final few weeks of the season what are what are some different uh, things that you do to really prepare those guys uh, for a deep run in, in the uh, playoffs? Yeah, I think that um, I think the regular season it, it plays as much for us as anything. You know, I have a I have a, a list of these things win or lose games in the postseason and uh, things that I've seen throughout the years and and. That, that have played huge roles in the, in the postseason. And we have a, a list of those things and um, I'm, I'm marking those down by, I carry a sheet with me in my back pocket uh, every single game. And uh, I write down in this specific column, I write down uh, this will help us be successful uh, for a deep run, or this will lose us a deep run. And, and I bring those things to their attention and I'm, I'm very upright and uh, uh, honest with them about, uh, the, this will lose you a baseball game. Um, if, if we have a runner on a third and, and less than two outs in a playoff game, uh, your focus has to be different. Uh, so, so why wouldn't it be different during the regular season? And, and I try to coach as much of the regular season like I would uh, of the postseason so that, you know, nerves and adrenaline, uh, the game speeds up on a lot of people in the postseason. So I think you have to be – um, conscious about coaching the regular season, um, kind of like you would the postseason, but it, obviously you're not there and you're going to make a lot more mistakes. And I use the uh, illustration this year, like you're walking on a high wire. Um, that, that wire gets a lot higher uh, when you get into May and mistakes um, during regular season might not kill you. But uh, if you fall off that thing, 
deep, deep when it's really, really high, deep in the playoffs, uh, you might not recover. So those things throughout the regular season, uh, everything has to be on purpose. Um, I, th- I think everything you do has to gear towards the postseason. I, 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 d- I don't think any coach just goes into the regular season and says, uh, let's just see what happens uh, if, if they do. Um, you're probably not putting your, your team in a great situation, but I think that the first day, uh, it has to be talked about. Our goal is to make the postseason. Uh, and we have to do these things successful. And then every single game, every single practice, you have to focus on those things. Uh, and you might not say it directly. Uh, but I, I do use the illustration in the game a lot, you know, um, if I had to be critical of myself, and I am often, but one thing I think that uh, after wins, I, I might be a little too critical about things I saw during the game that that are not going to help us be successful in the postseason. And um, hopefully the kids know why I'm doing it and, and, and why I harp on those things. But um, I, I do bring those things out, especially after a game when we, we meet and and I go over the list. Here's the things I saw. Of course, here are the positive things I saw. Uh, it's not all negative. You can never be all negative. Here are the here are the game winning things that you did uh, that will win you a postseason game. Was our strike percentage where it should have been? Uh, did we stay out of full counts? Did we stay out of three ball counts? I, I do all those things um, and keep a chart of those things. And our assistant coaches keep charts of those things that are postseason winning plays and, and and they need to know so when we get to the three game series a pitcher gets on the mound uh he knows he's got to let his defense play uh and, and he stays in the game you, you you know i can take you out during the regular season and put another pitcher in and it might not be as critical but if you don't do those things early in the in the game um and you don't throw strikes and you don't stay out of those three ball counts and we don't limit our pitch counts and you don't let the defensive play and have those hinge moments and swings, uh, all those things that go into being successful, I, I, I think starts throughout the entire regular season to prepare you. Uh, and I try to schedule as many dominant arms as I can because, mm-hmm. um, pitching is, pitching is the way it is. I mean, you, the, the baseball talent in this country is unbelievable. So if you you get to the playoffs, you get a state championship, you're facing 90. I mean, every single time. I mean, it's legit. You're, you're going to face 90 miles an hour. So um, you have to be good at it. So why would you not try to face as many of those in the regular season as possible? Sure. No, I really like that. And uh, I do have some quick hitters before you go. So, again, let me be the first to say, Trevor, I, I, man, I appreciate your time and, and your willingness to come on and do this and share so much of what you guys are doing. But I want to get to know you a little bit better. So what is what is uh, something that you're starting to dig into or learn about or have learned lately that has gotten you really excited? Man, I, um, I, I'm a science guy when it comes to the way the body operates. So uh, the kinetic chain of energy um and how it relates to the way that we move on defense and the way that we run and 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 the way that it works uh to prepare us to have the best um success at the plate hitting and and how the body really works i think that a lot of kids are visual learners and they need to know uh how this works together what it looks like so if i stay hit off a firm front side why are we doing that so the kinetic chain of energy is something i've dug into and I got a really good PowerPoint um, from the Dodger system uh, that really shows that. So I show that to the kids and uh, we, we focus and it's more me, I guess I, I love to learn. So I, I'm saying, and they probably think I'm crazy because I get so excited about it, but look at how the body works together to help you be the most efficient that you can. And, and you say, Coach, I, w- I want to hit for more power. Well, let me show you what this actually looks like. Um, and then, you, you know, I want to I want to throw with more velocity. Well, let me show you what this actually looks like. And, um, of course, everybody's different for high school kids. So just trying them to, to understand the simplicity of of how it works, really. And, and, and when you when you let it happen, I, I, that's been a huge thing for me. And I love. Uh, learning about those things and trying to help them understand. Uh, and once again, give them the why uh, to 
to why they're doing it and how to be more successful. Oh, great answer. Uh, what is something that you either used to believe that you don't anymore or have stopped doing lately uh, that you, you know, again, you found more information on and you have decided to go a different direction and why? I think it's uh, my preparation. Uh, like I said earlier, I, you know, I, I feel like I was really generic uh, early on as a coach and um, working backwards from the playoffs and the game situations and uh, spending more time and not being as generic. So, so like I just give you an example on our field and most high school fields, um, we don't necessarily need to work the double cut. Um, so used to be, I, I would take 25 minutes out of practice and say, here's where you're supposed to be. Look how close you're supposed to be. Um, but we still, we still teach it, but you know, I don't hit on it nearly as much. So it, all, it, it opens up times for those, uh, percentages of other game winning plays, uh, for us to practice that you see a lot more. So I'm uh, not saying we wouldn't talk about double cuts if we ever played on a field, like in the state playoffs, we, uh, played in the state championship. We played on uh, Gwinnett Stripers field, a major league field. So obviously we needed the double cut and we, we reviewed that and went over it. But um, those things not being generic, I think is a huge part of um, me me learning uh, how to coach and continue that growth mindset of how do I get better to put our team in a better situation to win. Oh, I love it. What is your player's favorite drill or drill set or just any anything that if you brought it to the table tomorrow, your players would love it because you're like, yeah, this is this is a winner for us. So, and let us steal it from you. Oh, man. Uh, the fungo man comes into play here. We do something called 10 on 10 uh, and it goes fly ball. So we'll work areas that are difficult fly ball areas and um, like the third baseman. Uh, getting towards the rail or, or getting into the triangle or, or uh, the first baseman getting towards the dugout and, and or the netting. Uh, and what I'll do is I'll uh, take it up and they'll challenge each other. And finally, we'll, we'll have that thing on 10, uh, the fundamental 10, which is basically a 10 second hang time. Uh, and uh, it, it's really scary for me, actually, because uh, some of the younger players, I actually don't let them do this because sure. it, 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 I mean, that thing coming down, um, if they haven't done it a lot, but my older guys, they love it. Um, they compete, uh, they talk trash to each other and, and they make some incredible catches. So, you know, if we get out here in the evening, um, and I got the lights on and that thing <laughs> disappears on a 10 second hang time. And, um, if they, they join the 10 on 10 club if they can make 10 consecutive catches uh, with a fungo man on 10. Um, and it really challenges their concentration and, and being able to track fly balls. And um, man, I'm, and when they see that so many times, it's really amazing uh, how good they get at it. Um, and I'll be completely honest, I'm not going to try it uh, <laughs> because it, it's so. Well, we had a kid last year that uh, tracked one and, and came down and. Uh, actually he tripped right before and it hit his finger and the bone came out of this middle finger. Um, and, but he ended up being the, the game winning pitcher in game three of state championship. So, um, he came back fine, but that's what I'm talking about dangerous wise, but they love doing that, that stuff and competing and, um, and makes a regular fly ball in the season. Just look like a cupcake. Well, I can, I can imagine. Last question for you is what, uh, what resources would you recommend any coaches out there who are looking to grow themselves? Uh, could be books, courses, people, you know, all, all of the above. I just got through reading a couple of books. I read The Obstacle is the Way by uh, Ryan Holiday and then uh, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Um, about to start Good to Great by uh, Jim Collins. Um, of course, Legacy by James Kerr are some of my favorites. So, uh, I, I would think if you want to coach and, and, and be able to talk about, uh, you know, overcoming adversity and how to change your mindset, uh, the obstacle is the way uh, was a really good one for me. I just finished that last week. So, um, of course, podcast and listening to other coaches and uh, reaching out to those guys that have been successful. Um, uh, my mentor, you know, uh, Trent Mongero is a guy that you know, I still keep in contact with and, and you lean on. And I think experience teaches you that you don't know uh, the game as much. So you need as much of the information as possible. And 
like this podcast and y'all have listened to uh, legendary coaches on this podcast and, and, oh, and things that are, that are done and sticking ball TV. And um, as much as you possibly can, it, it's, and, and I reach out to coaches like Butch Chaffin and Chuck Box and uh, those guys that have been really successful that I want to know more from. And I ask questions because I think becoming vulnerable uh, is a big deal for a coach. You, you can't act like you, you know it. Um, I want to be the, um, I want to be the dumbest person in the room uh, when we go places and learn. So I think that's a big deal. It coaches, uh, there are a ton, a ton of resources for you uh, if you want to get better. Well, Trevor, man, I, I appreciate your time. Uh, I love getting to, to spend the day with you and, and getting to hear all of the different cool things that you guys are doing. Uh, but I did want to give you the opportunity to talk to our guests before you go. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to say before you head out? Uh, no, you you can, uh, if, if you want to know more about our program, of course, trojansbaseball.com. And uh, uh, you can look me up at Coach Flo, at Trevor Flo on Twitter, uh, or email me. And, um, you know, I, I would love to hear from you guys and, and the, the way that other people do things. And, and if you have something uh, that's a huge resource for you, I, I'd love to know. And uh, just reach out and anything that, that I can be helpful with or, or that you have, I would love to hear it. So, um, you know, thank you for giving me this opportunity and thank you for uh, what you do for the game and, and, and helping coaches get better. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.